Christmas, that means war. You probably saw this on the uh, Facebook ad that we put out and said, man, I don't want to go listen to this intense message from Pastor Joe. He's always talking about something intense. Thank you. But I, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've really been praying about this. And Christmas is a big season for me, but not the, the, all the traditional stuff as much as the real meaning of what's happening. Because what happened in the real Christmas story is so profound and so powerful. When we think about Christmas, we often think about these peaceful songs like, O Little Town of Bethlehem, How Still We See Thee Lie, Away in the Manger, No Crib for a Bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. No crying he makes. I don't know if that's theologically correct. We're not sure about that. You know, sometimes we have these ideas about Christmas. God created babies to cry. That's how they communicate when they need something done. So I'm sure that Jesus probably cried. Uh, But we have these funny ideas about this peaceful, wonderful scene underneath our tree. Then there's silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright. What child is this? Um, and these are, these are wonderful songs. They do capture elements of what Christmas is about, but they miss one of the greatest aspects of what happened 2,000 years ago. There was an amazing cosmic war that happened in the heavenlies. If you've been through our Living Free, our Freedom Prayer ministry, you know that we talk about the excluded middle. We talk about how as Christians we live in two worlds. We live in a physical or natural world, And we live in a spiritual world. And we're kind of these people that have a foot in both kingdoms. We have a foot in the kingdom of God and the supernatural. We have a foot in the natural world. And we kind of bring those two kingdoms together. So let's look at it this way. The manger that we often think about with the animals and the shepherds adoring the baby Jesus. By the way, the wise men didn't get there until a lot of time later. You know that, right? You're allowed. You have blessing to set them all up as long as you know they didn't all come at the same time. Let's keep this thing theologically correct, right? But, you, you know, this is, it's a beautiful, pacific, wonderful, sweet, and tender scene. At the same time, if you go into the spiritual realm at that particular moment, the Bible tells us that there was war in heaven. I want to I posit something to you, and that is, I don't think the angels were just there to sing as a choir and announce the birth of Jesus, I think they were there because they were part of a heavenly army that was making sure that God's plan that had been ordained from the beginning of time was coming to pass. Many years ago, and I've shared this story, but I I, I think about it every Christmas. It was 1987. I had a vision. And I've seen pictures in my mind where the Lord is showing me, but this was a full-on vision that I had. And I I, I, I was like caught up. And what I saw were angels in a spiral staircase going up with the glory of God in heaven. And the Lord said, when you were a little boy in Sunday school, you used to sing, climb up, climb up Jacob's ladder. And you envisioned this little ladder going up into heaven. He said, this is what Jacob saw. He saw an open heaven. And he saw the the glory of God revealed. And that's why he built an altar there, because he knew the presence of God was in this place. I believe the same thing happened on Christmas, that there was actually the the two worlds collided, the spiritual kingdom and the natural kingdom collided, and God invaded our world. It's really his world, but he invaded this world. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what Christmas is really about. That's what the incarnation is about. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that today. Christmas marks one of the greatest spiritual battles of all eternity. 
One of the greatest Christmas carols of all time nails the true meaning of Christmas. And I hear people singing this or humming this. I hear it in department stores during Christmas. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. And I see people walking along, to save us all from Satan's power when we have gone astray. And I'm thinking, do they realize the theology of what they're proclaiming? They're talking about a spiritual battle. They're talking about the king of light destroying the king of darkness. That's what Christmas is about. You getting a little more excited? Not yet. You're, you're slow to ignite, but I know when you, when, it, when you ignite, it's going to be good. I can tell you're getting excited, but you need to just let it go, okay? Some of the older Christmas carols have the greatest theological truth. So I'm amazed when I hear people see this. Why was Jesus born? Why did he come as a little baby? 1 John 3.8 encapsulates it. It says this, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for the purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? He came to conquer a kingdom. He came to destroy the works of darkness. He came to reverse everything that had cursed the earth, that had kept the earth from experiencing God's blessing. So are you ready? We're going to turn to Revelation 12, and we're going to look at this conflict that happened in heaven. Of all places, Revelation, this book that seems to scare people, it's not as scary as you think. There are some images in there that you have to interpret, you have to be true to Scripture. But this is really talking about what happened on Christmas Day. Okay, the John is having a vision here. One of the keys to understanding Revelation is to notice where John is in each scene in the book of Revelation. Is he standing on the shore of the sea? In other words, looking at the earth. Is he caught up into heaven? And here John is having another vision, another picture. And this is what he says. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his heads and his tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as as it was born. Very poignant scene, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, just open our hearts, open our minds to a deeper understanding of what you did for us 2,000 years ago. Lord, what happened on this Christmas day 2,000 years ago was so cataclysmic, so amazing. And the implications of what happened continue to unfold in our lives. Lord, I know as I read your word that history and your plan for humanity could not have gone on unless this happened the way you wanted it to. We see in this picture, Lord, Satan, who is ready to devour that child, ready to destroy him the moment that he's born, and yet it didn't happen. The enemy has tried to stop your plan at every juncture, and he hasn't been able to do it. And now it's a matter of time, Lord, until your plans are completed and you return. Jesus, till you return to the earth. Lord, open our hearts today as we look at your word. Help us to understand the true implications of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. So who was the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crowd of 12 stars on her head? 
Well, obviously, if you understand uh, the scriptures uh, throughout the entire Bible, this represents the nation of Israel. The 12, um, the 12, excuse me, the 12 stars on her head represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is the nation of Israel who is the earthly family line of Messiah Jesus. We know that God loves all nations. God has a purpose for every nation. God has a purpose for every kingdom, every tribe, every people in the earth. But he chose Israel to be the one that would bring forth the Messiah. It's also in a literal sense, Mary, who is chosen by God as the mother of Jesus. And here she is in labor pains and agony of birth. And I believe that more than just uh, giving birth in a physical sense, I believe there was a spiritual birthing process. There was a groaning of the earth. And folks, I want to tell you this. The first time that Jesus came, I believe that all creation was groaning for the Son of God to be revealed. Romans 8 tells us that before the Lord uh, appears the second time, that all creation groans for the sons of God. Because he came, now we have been adopted as sons and daughters, and all creation is groaning in expectation, waiting for the plan of God to be fulfilled. Do we understand that if Christmas does not happen, if the incarnation does not happen, God's plan doesn't go forward? How vulnerable this situation is. Think about this. Could God have delivered his deliverer in a more vulnerable package than a baby? How many of you have held a newborn baby? There's nothing like it. I mean, it's amazing. You hold this little creature and you go, can you believe that human beings come in such a small package? And every time I hold a baby, I think, were my kids ever this small? I mean, because they grow so fast. How many of you, how would you feel if you doubled and tripled your birth weight every year? I mean, babies grow so fast, okay? But they start out in these little packages. And this is how God delivers his conqueror? Think about the vulnerability of this whole thing. Think about the wonder in heaven. Not just among human beings, because I don't think the shepherds really understood, but I think the angels got it. I think they really knew what was happening in an an amazing way. And that's why they're rejoicing in this scene on this Christmas day. The dragon, of course, is Satan. He's shown with seven heads. What do the seven heads represent? They represent seven main empires. Daniel talks about this in the book of Daniel and gives us more elucidation on what those different empires are. But these are the empires that dominate civilization over time. And I could say a lot more about that, but you'll have to take the Revelation class to get that. The ten crowns represent the ten final kings in the day of the Antichrist that will willingly give, them, give their power over to the Antichrist. They will willingly surrender to Satan. The third of the stars swept from the sky refers to a third of the angels that Satan leads in rebellion against the kingdom of God. And this is substantiated in other places in Scripture. But we get this idea that when Satan rebelled, that there were a lot of angels that went along with him. Now, there there are a lot more angels that stayed with God. Okay, I don't think the Lord wants us to focus on on evil and on negative stuff. But he wants us to be aware of it. Okay, He wants us to be aware. He just doesn't want us to focus on that. I love the story. How many of you have read Milton's Paradise Lost? Okay, so this is not scripture, but I think Milton was uh, anointed. He was, uh, in his day, he was a man who was really hearing something that God was saying. And in Milton's Paradise Lost, 
there's a scene where Satan is conversing with the angels right after the rebellion against God. And he says, you know, he said he's the creator, and this is the Pastor Joe version of Milton, which is very simple, okay? If you read it, it's a lot more wonderful prose. But essentially what he's saying, you know, we can't destroy the creator. He's the creator, and we're part of the creation. Did you hear that? This is very important theology. Satan is not co-equal with God. There are a lot of people that want you to think that. He's part of the creation. The creation never has an opportunity to overcome the creator. So he's part of creation. He says, you know, we can't destroy God, but if we can destroy his creation, we can bring pain to the heart of God. Think about that for a moment. Satan knows he can't win. Maybe he's deluded himself. I don't know. I don't talk to him. Occasionally I've told him to leave. I love the story about Smith Wigglesworth. He felt this real presence of evil. I'm off on a tangent here, but this is okay, because I think it gives us perspective. How many of you read that story where he senses this is real evil, and he goes downstairs, and Satan is manifested in his living room. And he says, oh, it's just you. Be gone in Jesus' name, and walks back upstairs. <laughs> I love Smith Wigglesworth stories. <laughs> He was, a, he was an apostle from England uh, that lived in the uh, late 19th, early, early through the mid-20th century. And he uh, was a very wonderful character. He had great faith, so much so that he even prayed for people and they were raised from the dead. And it's pretty well uh, proven, documented, right? But do we understand that because Satan is part of creation, when God's judgment comes, it's destroyed. He'll be gone, just like that. There's no contest. So here's the point of theology that I want you to understand. And this is part of the strategy of God. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the beginning, God could have dealt with evil immediately. Do we understand that? He could have in a moment destroyed all of evil. But guess what would have gone with it? All of us. Humanity was bound over because of rebellion We would have been destroyed. So God's dilemma, and I don't think it's really a dilemma, it's the way that we see it, was how can I destroy evil and preserve that which I love? How do you do that? So God's plan, simply stated, is this. The Creator becomes part of the creation. The Creator actually becomes part of the creation. Think about that. Let's, let's read on here. In verse 5, it says, She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Who was this son? Who was this little baby that would rule all nations? And her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught up to God and his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Verse 5 says, a son who would rule all nations. I think of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child is born to us. We heard it this morning in the Advent reading. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How can a child, how can a human child be referred to as God? Isn't that blasphemous? 
But somehow God is giving us a clue 800 years before Jesus is born in Isaiah 9 that Jesus would actually be God in the flesh, God revealed in human flesh. There is only one who could come to break the curse of sin and restore God's dominion to planet Earth. So do you understand the the dilemma here? On the one hand, the person who died to save the planet had to be human because he was dying on behalf of all humanity. On the other hand, he had to be without sin. There's the problem. Are you getting this? Think about this. He had to be fully human. He was the seed of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. This is the first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy about the Christ or the Messiah who is to come to save the world. Genesis 3.14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. By the way, the word for serpent literally in the Hebrew means whisperer, the whisperer. Does he do that to you? Yeah. He wants to plant seeds of anti-faith in our hearts. And by the way, the dragon in Revelation 12, I want you to think about this too. God judges the serpent in Genesis 3 and he takes his legs away. So the serpent that is here was a different kind of animal that spoke to Eve. Could it have been a dragon? I don't know. We'll have to ask God about that. Verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. It talks about in the King James, it says between your seed and his seed. The Bible doesn't say to Adam, it's going to be your seed, Adam. It says to the woman, it's going to be your seed. How precise is this prophecy that Jesus would be born of woman but it would be wrought by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That God would supply the rest of the RNA, DNA, that would complete and cause that child to develop within Mary. And we're going to talk a little bit about more about that next week when we talk about Mary. But I want you to think about this from the very beginning. And I, I believe that ever since then, Satan has been at war with mankind, but he has a special vendetta against women. Mm hmm. I've heard a lot of women say, yep, I believe that. So much so that Satan tried to literally for generations destroy women. Satan and his minions sought to seduce and corrupt the line of Eve in order to destroy destroy the plan of God from this moment on. Where it talks about the angels that came down to earth, left their stations of glory, and they rebelled against God, and they ended up having sexual relationships with women, and there were these hybrids that were born. Say, come on, Pastor Joe, is that myth? Well, I've got some interesting things to say about that. Number one, they're finding out in DNA uh, research right now, they're saying that there's Neanderthal DNA that we have. They can't figure out where some of the DNA came from because it's not part of the... And they're, they're not saying this, but I'm thinking, okay. Now, we're going beyond what you learned in Sunday school here. Okay, stay with me. Why did Satan do that? He knew that it was going to be the seed of woman that was going to destroy him, and he did everything he could to sully and destroy the line of women so that they could not bring forth the Messiah. 
That's grown-up theology. I shared this with somebody one time, and they said, you know, I, I listened to some of the stories that I got as a kid in Sunday school. He said, well, you're telling me now, all of a sudden, makes a totally different... And isn't it interesting that out of 18 ancient civilizations that we have extant writings from, that almost all of them have a story about giants or hybrid creatures? Go to Nashville, Tennessee, and you there's a whole small Parthenon there. It's half the size of what you see in Greece, but they've recreated the whole thing. Why do you think they call their team the Titans? These were the hybrid creatures that were born between the demigods who came down from heaven and mated with women. Gee, isn't that interesting that in almost every thing that's there. Why? Because Satan was trying to destroy the plan of God. And that's why God ended that. Satan's ultimate seed will be the Antichrist, a counterfeit of Jesus Christ in every way. But the seed of Eve comes to defeat Satan and destroy the works of darkness. The Messiah, born of woman but wrought by the power of God's Holy Spirit, uh, not man. John 1, here's who we're talking about. The very one who created all things and held the universe together by his word was coming into the world in the most vulnerable way. John 1.1, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. And I love the New Living Translation here. In the beginning, the Word already existed. In other words, Jesus was there with the Father from the very beginning. He doesn't appear on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you understand that, you can explain it to me. I accept that by faith. It's a pretty heavy-duty statement. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Jesus was the creator. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So this one who was there with God in the beginning, that literally spoke, and all three members of the Godhead, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have a unique role to play in creation. Go back and think about it. Who was God the Father speaking to in Genesis 1? Let us make man in our image. The rabbis say that God was speaking to the angels. I don't believe that. I believe God was communing. It says the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and he was one of the agents in causing things to happen. But Jesus is the Word. He's the literal designer of all that we see, all that happened. The very light of life came into the world. In John 1.14, later in that chapter, it says, So the Word became human and made His home among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus testified about Him when He shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for He existed long before me. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, let's look at one couple other scriptures here. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. What holds the universe together? It's the very Word of God. So I love science. I love true science. I don't think there's any problem between true science and faith, true faith. 
Okay, it's, it's manufactured, by the way. I think a lot of the things that we think are problems, if you really look honestly, and you'll notice right now that people that are departing from the faith that are very anti-Christian aren't very correct about their science. So now that science tells us that the child in the womb is able to feel pain and understand all that, people are ignoring the science and say, I still don't care about it, I still believe in abortion. And I could give you a lot of other examples where people are abandoning science because at the end of the day, there's a secular religion in America that is very anti-Christian. Okay, And they're more religious than we are, by the way. And they're more intolerant than we are. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How about Philippians 2.6, who being in very nature God, this is talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. The word is there is doulos. It means a slave. He became a servant or a slave to the purpose and the will of God, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now do you see why the angels were kind of excited? Why they were rejoicing and why they brought tidings of great joy to all people, all nations? Let's go back to Revelation 12, verse 7. It says, then there was war in heaven. And this is where Christmas is war. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. And we'll get to what they shouted. We're going to end with that this morning. When Satan could not stop the pregnancy, he's waiting to destroy the child born to Mary. I want you to think about the vulnerability of God's plan. It rested on the obedience of a 17, probably a 16, 17-year-old woman who's probably one of the most exceptional women of all history. Sometimes Protestants and evangelicals, they're afraid of being too much like the Catholics. We don't give her enough due. She was an amazing young woman. We're going to talk about her next week and what, what it was like from her perspective. Think about the vulnerability. If Joseph had not obeyed God at key points in the Christmas story, the Lord says, get up, Herod's going to kill this one if you don't move. And he immediately sells everything, leaves his business, and goes down to Egypt. God, three times, I believe, in the life of Joseph, gives him instructions to save the Christ child. How vulnerable was this plan all along? And yet there was Jesus through this whole thing. The very life and light of God in human flesh. The appearance of the angels in great number was not just for choir purposes of announcing his birth. They were rejoicing that the plan of God was unfolding. All the armies of heaven were mobilized on Christmas Day. So you can imagine the manger scene on one hand with the cattle lowing and the shepherds in wonder, looking, who is this baby that these angels told us about? The shepherds had to be scared out of their socks. 
How many of you have ever been in a culture that is that doesn't have electricity or is so far outside of electricity? It, we don't know what darkness is. I remember being in on the border of Nicaragua and uh, Costa Rica. We were way up in the north in Guanacaste province, and I was outside where we were. I was looking up. I've never seen the Milky Way before, folks. I saw stars that I never knew existed, and I saw the Milky Way. If you've never seen it, I hope you get a chance to do that. But it's kind of scary to think, if I get stung by a stingray, it's like 200 miles to Managua, Nicaragua, and it's 200 miles to San Jose, Costa Rica. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There was no light. So think about this. Imagine having that kind of darkness where the the brightest light you have is a campfire. And all of a sudden, you have megawattage of angels appearing out of nowhere. You would be scared out of your skin. When I saw that vision of the angels, I was so awed. I mean, I'm talking about millions of angels on this like spiral, and the light was yellow and purple and pink and blue. I mean, all the spectrum of light, and it was so bright, and the glory of God. I, I, I couldn't talk. I mean, it was just so overwhelming. And all of a sudden, I understood why the shepherds quaked with fear. <laughs> Think about that. The light of God appearing like that. There was war in the heavenlies. All the armies of heaven were mobilized. The dragon, Satan, appears in the vision of Revelation 12 to destroy the baby promised as Messiah and the people who belong to God as well. How many of you know the devil doesn't fight fair? Every time the Lord has brought deliverers on the earth in key moments where his plan is unfolding, people have tried to destroy that deliverer and they've destroyed babies. Pharaoh did it in the Old Testament when Moses was born. It happened with Jesus. And I think Satan fears right now this generation. That's why he's trying to wipe out so many children, even in the womb. He fears what God wants to do in these last days because he knows that the finale is going to be even greater than what happened here in the incarnation when Christ returns. Do you feel it? I want you to be encouraged by what the Lord has done. The prophetic timeline of the vision moves from the incarnation to the final seven years of God's timeline in the Great Tribulation. So this picture that John is having is compressed time. It goes from the incarnation to the time right before Christ returns. We're not sure exactly, following the scripture from Revelation 12, we're not sure exactly uh, when Satan is destroyed, when he's cast out of heaven. Some believe that it happened then, some believe that it happened at the cross, Some believe it will happen at the end of time. I don't care as long as it happens. And then let's see what John sees in Revelation 12, 11. He says, It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of Lamb, the blood of the lamb and their testimony. Some of you in this room have been harassed by the accuser all your life. You've been harassed by the accuser. You've heard that little whisper of the enemy accusing you. You're not good enough. God doesn't love you. Those people at church don't love you. You don't want to go there. You might as well just give up and die. Remember what I said? Satan doesn't play fair. How many would be honest and say, I've I've heard the voice of the accuser. Okay, the rest of you, we're going to pray about lying. (laughs) 
I, I don't want to be light there, but I, I'm, it's hard for me to believe that not all of us have, have heard that voice at one time or another. And it goes on to say, and they did not love their lives, this whole company of people that are giving praise. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come to the earth and see, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. And I think that's the season we're in now. As a result of what Jesus did, as a result of this war, life entered the world and darkness cannot stop it. As a result of this war, the power of God to do miracles and restore people to life came into the world and death cannot stop what God began. As a result of this war, everyone who was subject to sin and death began to see the breaking of chains of oppression. As a result of this war, every demon and power of evil knew that their time ruling over the earth was coming to an end. And there's coming a consummation of what God began, of what the Lord began. I want to read Isaiah 9 again, and then we're going to pray. Isaiah 9, 2. I know we've heard it a couple times today, but let it just sink deep into your heart, deep into your consciousness and your thinking. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Some of you today are walking in darkness. There's been depression, and I'm not saying you're not a believer, although some of you may need to receive Christ as your Savior, but sometimes as Christians, we fight battles, and the Lord is saying some of you have been in the midst of battle, and there's darkness. Today, He wants the light of Christ to dawn on you. In verse 3, he says, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. Midian had what they had done. The people of Midian had destroyed the crops of Israel year after year and basically were starving them out. They would come in right before the harvest and they would destroy and steal everything. And God brings a deliverer, a deliverer to rescue the people. And, he, and here in this scripture, Isaiah is reminding them, this is going to be like the time when God got rid of the Midianites. So if you have Midianites in your life this morning, we're going to pray that they're out of here. Okay? Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hallelujah. Can we stand together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you would say, honestly, I just, I'm in the midst of battle. I needed to hear this again today. Look around. A lot of us are there right now. Can we just reach out to God? I want to ask if you'd like to join me, just raise both hands to the Lord. Lord, we just want to lift up praise and glory and honor to you today. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And we thank you, Father, that what you did on that Christmas day 2,000 years ago was more than a cute story. That there was a cosmic war that literally broke the curse of evil over this planet. It was the beginning of the end, the beginning of the final chapters of your plan to rescue all humanity. 
And Lord, we know that as a result of that, that you have a design, you have a a destiny for each one of us that are gathered here today. We also know, Lord, that Satan knows that his time is short and he's doing so many destructive things to take people out. But you've given us authority over him. It says they overcame him by the blood of Christ and by the word of their testimony. Did you hear that? They overcame by the blood of Christ and the word of their testimony. I want us to just take a moment here right now. Can we just say, Father, forgive us for when we have agreed with the enemy. Forgive us for when we have uh, capitulated to the darkness. Forgive us, Lord, when we have agreed with the enemy and we have forgotten what you have done. Lord, we want to give a good testimony today. We just confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can we just say that together? You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Bless you, God. And Lord, I just pray right now for those that have been suffering under accusation, condemnation, discouragement, whatever it is. Lord, we just take authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would break that spirit of heaviness, that spirit of darkness, I pray where the accuser has been whispering his lies to people this morning that you would break the power of that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would set people free, Father, and that this Christmas season we would be filled with your joy, not because everything is going right necessarily, but because we know there is a God who is steadfast and sure that has accomplished his work and will because he loves us. Lord, your love is so amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.